right, if you would turn to Luke chapter 24. This is our last installment from Luke, at least as we walk through the gospel together. Um, Luke chapter 24, we started looking at this chapter last week. We began to see six things open up for us in this chapter. We're going to see, uh, we, we're going to review those three we saw last week. We're going to see the last three this morning, and we'll put a period or an exclamation point or a question mark, hopefully not a question mark, at the end of Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 24. Uh, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 36 to 53, but let's back up to verse 1 and be reminded of what we saw last week. We saw last week the first thing opening was the tomb. There was an open tomb, and we saw that in verse, verses 1 through 12, that on the first day of the week, the women found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered in, they did not find the body of Jesus. Peter runs and he confirms what they discovered. And we saw last week that not only was there an open tomb, but the tomb was open in order to reveal the reality that Jesus was no longer there. And Jesus was not only no longer there, Jesus was alive. And Jesus being alive is only significant because Jesus died. And that's unheard of, is it not? That a man would die and that a man would be resurrected from the dead and would be alive and would be outside of his tomb on Sunday morning. There was an open tomb. And if you missed last week and you have doubts about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ being verified fact and something that is of historical value and something that you can believe, I want to encourage you to go back and listen last week to that sermon because we saw lots of evidence Lots of evidence to give us peace and assurance about the reality that Jesus Christ did die on the cross, Jesus Christ was buried in a barred tomb, and Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. And he was seen by eyewitnesses. So we saw an open tomb. We also saw open scriptures in verses 13 to 27. Two of his disciples, not of the twelve, but of his uh, outer band of disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus. They were traveling along, along the road there. And while they were traveling and discussing, Jesus approaches them and he begins traveling with them. And in that period of time where he traveled, the Bible says that he began with Moses and with all the prophets and explained all of the things that Moses and those prophets wrote concerning himself in the Scriptures. So these two disciples, they're walking along. Jesus joins them. They don't recognize Jesus. Their eyes are kept from seeing him and understanding who he was. And he enters into this conversation, and he opens up the Old Testament and shows them that the Old Testament's primary purpose is not to give us a list of rules to obey, it's not to give us a list of laws to follow, of feasts to celebrate, of ceremonies to observe. The Old Testament's primary purpose is to point us to Jesus Christ. And it does just that. And Jesus unfolds it for his disciples. He went from Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all the way through all the prophets to explain to them how the Old Testament speaks of him again. If you have doubts about the miraculous nature of the person of Jesus Christ, we saw a lot of evidence last week that proves to us that He is who He said He was. Thirdly, 
we saw opened eyes last week. Verses 28 to 35, those two disciples approached the village where they were going along with Jesus. Jesus went in to stay with them. And when they had reclined at the table, something interesting happens with this strange figure. He takes bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he begins giving it to them. And as he does, their eyes are now opened and they recognize Jesus. It was in the breaking of the bread that their eyes were opened. It was in the breaking of the bread that they recognized Jesus. And we ended our time together last week by taking communion together, taking the Lord's Supper together. Let us not underestimate the importance of taking communion together, taking that bread, taking that cup, because it enables us to remember the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It enables us to proclaim His death, His burial, and His resurrection. As we take that bread, as we take that cup, it enables those around us who don't yet know Christ not only to hear the gospel, but to see the gospel acted out as we take that bread and cup and maybe by God's grace have their eyes opened like these disciples. Now we come to verse 36. We're going to see three more things open up in this last chapter of Luke's gospel. We see in verses 36 to 45, open minds. We already saw open eyes. Now we see open minds. Look in verse 36. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. So these two disciples that Jesus revealed himself to through the breaking of bread, they take a, br- a brisk run seven miles back to Jerusalem to where the rest of the disciples are gathered together wondering what on earth is going on. Have our eyes deceived us? And when they get there, they're telling these other disciples what they experienced on the road to Emmaus. And as they're telling these other disciples what they experienced with Jesus on the road to Emmaus and in that, in that place where they reclined at table together, Jesus himself stands in their midst. He just shows up. You know what's interesting about Jesus? This is free of charge. This isn't in the notes. What's interesting about Jesus is he can seem to be absolutely absent. And if you know Jesus, if you've walked with Jesus very long, unless you're just playing Baptist, you have to admit, there's seasons of time where Jesus just seems to have punched the clock and moved on. He could just seem to be gone. Absent. But Jesus can also, out of nowhere, with no explanation and no warning, just show up in the midst. So we can have church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and the sermons be dull and boring, and, you know, it was the day we checked it off our list, and we go home feeling good about ourselves for going to church, but really, really didn't have an encounter with God. We didn't really have an encounter with Christ. And then there's this one Sunday we come in, we've already yelled at the kids. They look, you know, they've got snotty noses, their clothes are already dirty. We come in haggard. We're not ready for worship. We sit down, and Jesus shows up. He just does things on his timing and not ours. And here are these people minding their own business, 
trying to report what happened, and Jesus just shows up in the midst. May Christ show up in our midst. Amen? And he can do it on his timing and according to his schedule. And he shows up and he says to them, peace be to you. I mean, if Jesus just showed up here this morning out of nowhere, I think some good first words to us would be, peace be to you. Calm down. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Verse 41, while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? Now I want you to just think a minute. Jesus shows up in the midst and he says, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Touch them if you will. A spirit doesn't have pierced hands and pierced feet. And crucified people generally don't walk around town. And they still didn't believe. Now they're amazed, they're startled, they're frightened. But they still didn't believe. If if Jesus showed up and showed you his hands and feet, would you not believe? They gave him a piece of broiled fish in verse 42. He took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And now notice what happens in verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand what? The Scriptures. He, Jesus, opened their minds. He just showed up in the room. Is that not enough? He just showed them his hands and his feet. Is that not enough? No, it's not enough. And I can tell you that if you're that person sitting out in this room right now today and you think, I just don't have enough evidence, I just don't have enough proof, I just haven't been convinced, then Jesus himself could descend into this room and show you his hands and his feet and you still would not believe. You would be startled, you would be frightened, you would be amazed, but you would not be you would not believe because what you need this morning is not more evidence. What you need this morning is not more proof. What you need this morning is for Jesus to open your mind. And until Jesus opens your mind, you're in a heap of trouble. Until our minds are opened by the power of Jesus Christ, The words of the Scripture are just words on a page. Until Jesus opens our mind, the Gospel is just religious murmuring. Until Jesus opens our mind, the Bible is just boring, outdated, irrelevant, and the sermons are too. The natural mind is not captivated by the things of God. 
The natural mind just doesn't get it, and the natural mind just doesn't get it because he can't just get it. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14 says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. If you are sitting out here right now, and this all sounds like foolishness to you, there's a reason for that. Your mind is still natural. You can't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to you, and he cannot understand them. Why can't he understand them? Because they are spiritually appraised. That's 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. So we need to get into some doctrine. Who came to church this morning for some doctrine? I hope you did. I hope you get it every week. But we need to get into some doctrine because there, there are two callings that we see in Scripture. You need to pay careful attention here. There is a general call, and there is an effectual or effective call. So here's what the general call is. It is a room full of people, under the sound of my voice, who every single Sunday that you gather, it doesn't matter if we're preaching on Job, Genesis, or Luke, you're going to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel message at some point in that sermon, right? Every person in this room that's not asleep right now hears my voice and the general call. And sometimes people walk out believe it or not, going, have mercy, I cannot believe what I just heard in Scripture, what I just saw in Scripture, what God just did in my life and in my heart. I, can, I, I think I've been born again. Or maybe I feel like I've been born again again. And the same exact room, same exact sermon, same exact Sunday, other people walk out, and go, where are we going to eat? Are we going to Ripetuzzi? Are we going to the La Fiesta? Are we going to Camino Real? Are we going to uh, one of the other seven Mexican restaurants? And where are we going? How quick can I get there? How on earth is it possible that in the same room with the same people, listen to the same voice, preach the same sermon, some can leave feeling like they've been radically transformed, and some can leave with nothing more on their mind than where they're going to eat and what they're going to do this afternoon to get as far away from this place as they can. You know what makes a difference? General call versus effectual call. The general call has gone out, and some people have been affected. And it's not because of me waxing eloquent. It's not because of my argument. But it's because through the general call... Jesus reached down to certain minds and he opened them to understand the scriptures. We as preachers, proclaimers, evangelists, Christians, we extend the general call to all men for how on earth are they going to believe if they've never heard and how are they going to hear unless somebody goes and tells them. We extend the general call to all men, most of whom do not care, most of whom will not believe, and most of whom will not show interest. 
But in that general call, God will sometimes, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, take those feeble, weak words that we preachers and we evangelists and we Christians use, and He will pick them up and He will cause them to penetrate the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Sometimes He'll just take the words that we use as feeble as they may be. Jonah went to Nineveh and he preached a seven-word sermon. And the Holy Spirit took those seven words and brought awakening to the capital city of the most wicked nation on earth. Seven words. He doesn't need me waxing eloquent. He just needs some words to go out in the general call. And the Holy Spirit of God can pick them up. And He can apply them to hearts as He wills. And bring transformation. He will use the general call to everyone to open the minds of His chosen people and make that call effective. You don't believe it? Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. What does Paul say? Knowing, not hoping, not thinking, not questioning, not... But knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. You ever wondered if God chose you? Why would God choose me? I don't know. I wouldn't have chosen me. It's not really my business. You want to know if he has? Well, the only way we can know if he has is the same way Paul knew. How did Paul know? Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel, our general call, our general proclamation of the gospel message of Jesus Christ did not come to you in word only. It wasn't, okay, well, that's a good talk, Paul. You're waxing eloquent. You really make us think, Paul. Thanks for the challenge. No, it didn't come to you in word only, but also in what? Power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You want to know if God's chosen you? Has the gospel message of Jesus Christ come to you in power? Has the gospel message of Jesus Christ come to you in the full conviction of the Holy Spirit? There's your answer. Because only God can make these words effective. Only God can make the Bible effective. So what do we do? You know what we do? We keep going to the Bible. We keep going to the Word. We keep going to the Scriptures. We keep preaching the Gospel. We keep sharing the Gospel because that's all we got. And that's what God uses to awaken hearts and save souls and bring conviction. So we keep going back to the Word with our children. And we keep preaching the Gospel to our children. And we keep preaching the Gospel in our D groups. And we keep preaching the Gospel here because you may have been here for six months and Jesus might just show up out of the blue. Jesus might just show up this morning. You've been ignoring it for six months. You may have been ignoring it for two, three years, ten years, and Jesus might just show up this morning. It's not too late if you're six feet above ground. Amen? 
But without him opening our minds and awakening our hearts to the gospel, we are without hope. And you know this. Some of you may go, I don't like that thought too much. You know it. You know how I know you know it? Because you pray for your lost friends and your lost loved ones, don't you, to be saved. You pray for them to be saved, don't you? And you know why you pray for them to be saved? Because you know deep down that only Jesus Christ can open their minds. So you ask him to do it over and over and over again. If you didn't really believe that, what you would do is you would hire the slickest evangelist in America to just go convince them. You would pay whatever amount of money you needed to get the slickest evangelist to show up at your child's home or your grandchild's home or your husband's bedside and give them the slickest evangelistic scheme they can give them to make them Christians. But you know that doesn't work because the slickest guy on earth can't save a soul, can he? The greatest preacher on earth can't save a soul, can he? You know that only Jesus Christ can open hearts and open minds to the gospel, so we pray. John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We could say no one's going to come to Christ without Christ opening their minds. He can show them his hands. He can show them his feet. He can show up in person. But he has to take the gospel message that's proclaimed from our lips and he has to apply it to their hearts and open their minds. Open minds. Second, or fifthly, secondly this morning, fifthly in Luke 24, open borders. Now, I really toyed with this point because I'm thinking, that might be like a hot-button issue today. You should know me well enough to know that I firmly believe that politics is all going to die and stand before the judgment seat one day, and the only thing that's going to matter is the kingdom of God. So we're not talking about that nonsense right now. We're talking about something that's going to outlast our borders and our border patrol, okay? So we're not talking about open borders when it comes to political And some of you may be thinking, well, you might be talking about open borders for missions, but COVID, I know. Just humor me. Verses 46 to 49, open borders. Jesus opens up the borders for these Jews who have had their minds focused solely on Israel. That's what I mean. They focused on Israel. They focused on the Jews. They focused on Jerusalem. They focused on the temple. And Jesus opens the borders up for them. In verse 46, he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that, that's not the end, that Jesus Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, but there's more. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to who? To all the nations. Beginning from Jerusalem. Beginning from Jerusalem. But this message has to go to all the nations. We've got to open the borders up, guys. You are witnesses of these things. 
And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And we know exactly what Jesus was referring to. He said, you need to hang out here, guys, until the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. When the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, then you need to get out of Jerusalem and get the gospel message to the least reached peoples on planet Earth. Have you heard that before? Before somewhere? Jesus really didn't put any qualifications on this. You know, when it's easy. When they're receptive. When you don't really run into any stumbling blocks and no closed doors. No, he just gave his command. He made it clear and he said, go figure out how to make it happen. In Matthew chapter 28, you should know this by heart. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, all the pontata ethne, all the people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us even when he doesn't feel like he's with us, when we're with him doing what he's told us to do. Jesus didn't give us any ifs, he didn't give us any ands, he didn't give us any buts. Just the clear and binding command to get the gospel from here to the ends of the earth. This is not a calling. Well, you know, I'm just not called to be that, you know, missionary. I'm not called to be that great commission guy. I'm not called to do that. I'm more called to write blog posts. I'm called to tweet the gospel. I'm, called, no, I'm not called to do that kind of work. This is not a calling, people. Nowhere did Jesus say, okay, you guys that have a specific inner tingling and calling on your life, go and make disciples of all the nations. It's not what he said. This is not a calling for a select few. This is a command for the church of Jesus Christ. So we have been commanded today to go and to make disciples of all the people groups on planet Earth Baptizing them, teaching them to obey. So here's what we can do this morning. Are you ready? We can either get up out of these pews and go, like we've got some people doing right now, some people in the queue to do. We can either get up and go, or we can send. And when I say send, that means we pray like the most dear loved one we have is going. Not like, Lord, help them missionaries, amen. I'm not talking about saying prayers for missionaries. I'm talking about praying prayers for missionaries. So we can go or we can send by praying or we can send by giving or we can send by praying and giving. Did I lose you? We can go. We can send. Or you can disobey. Those are your three options. Because this is not a calling. This is a command for the church. And as the one who has all authority, Jesus opened the borders with His command. And He said, get it from Jerusalem and get it out. Brother Andrew said that there are no closed doors to the gospel. Provided that once you go through the door... You don't care whether or not you come back out. The disciples did just that. They laid down their lives. 
their livelihoods to get the gospel throughout Israel, to Ethiopia, to Egypt, to Greece, to Armenia, to India, and beyond in their lifetime. This leads me to some personal questions. As I stand up here and bloviate week after week about missions, you probably know the thing that I talk about second as most frequently as the gospel is what? Missions, right? So the questions have to keep coming to my heart personally. Like, what am I willing to lay down? Now, it's like I could talk to you about laying down stuff. That's fun. But what am I willing to lay down? How can I best use my life, my one life, to get the gospel out, not just get the gospel out, but to get the gospel out to the least reached peoples on the planet? And those two questions have plagued me, and they've led my family to make some pretty radical decisions lately. And I want to share those radical decisions with you as we think about Jesus' command to all of us to get out of our borders and go. As honest as I can be, I know that Mandy and I have put our blank check on the table as best we can, as best we think we have. We put the blank check on the table and said, Lord, you fill it out. You fill it out with our lives. You fill it out with our ministry, however you want to fill it out. And we've seen the Lord shut doors over the years, time and time again. Even recently, shut doors. As we've tried to keep the blank check on the table to say, we are willing to go wherever you send us. A few months back, however, a missionary friend messaged me. And he said, you need to do this job. Okay. What is this job? He begins to explain it. I begin to look into it. And after some months of praying, getting counsel, we've decided with much fear and prayer to take that job. The mission organization is called Reaching and Teaching International Missions. It's a fast-growing, very fast-growing Southern Baptist mission organization that's not as well heard of as the International Mission Board, obviously. IMB goes in and they go among unreached people and start churches. Reaching and Teaching comes in behind and primarily trains pastors, indigenous leaders to be healthy pastors, biblical pastors, solid pastors, and they hopefully develop healthy churches that will then impact their areas and their peoples with the gospel message. The job that I was specifically offered is called training facilitator for an unnamed region since we're live. But if you've been here very long, you probably know what region that is, don't you? My job will be to make connections, travel to, and set up training centers throughout that region of the world. I'll be kind of a middleman between that particular region and the U.S. in order to connect pastors to that region and provide seminary-like trainings. But it's really time for 
me to stop talking about the mission and stop urging others to leave their safety nets. And it's time for me to lead by example and leave my safety nets. As a side note, free of charge again, I want to make sure that you this morning and the entire church understands that this church has zero to do with this decision. There's no other church I would have left here to go to. There are dozens of pastors that would give their right arm to be at this church. We have mixed emotions about walking away from all of this for the unknown. But my heart is restless in the pastor, and it's time to stop just talking and talking about the mission and devote more of ourselves to that mission and to the peoples that God has put on our heart. Now, I know that the timing is most ideal. Tongue-in-cheek, right? The timing is not most ideal. The McNews are on the runway this month. The Penfolds are backing out of the gate. (laughs) And it is not our desire to take away from them in any way. We've committed not to do so. We want them to remain on the front page of the paper. Currently, just so you know, before you start bombarding us with questions, currently, already... I'm working with the ministers. I'm working with the personnel committee to put together a smooth transition plan. Keyword is smooth. We got people at first base, second base, shortstop, third base, home plate, pitching, right field, left field, center field, and some in the dugout. If everybody just will field the ball, you're not going to miss me. But on Sundays, I hope a little. We're putting together a smooth transition plan, and more info is going to be made available as the plan continues to take shape and solidify. The very earliest that we would leave this place would be mid to late October. The latest would be towards the end of the year. And you'll be giving updates along the way. We're not going to be about surprises. That's why I wanted to say this this morning as we talk about open borders. I'm not really good with surprises or being a double agent, pretty transparent, in case you haven't figured that out by now. So let's just get it out. So there's no surprises. We can talk about it. If you have any questions whatsoever, I don't care what they are, or you want to discuss in more detail what we're going to be doing, please, please, please do not hesitate to call Mandy. She'll answer all of your questions. (laughs) This is one of the reasons I wanted to say this this morning. So we have plenty of time to answer your questions and any concerns that you may have. But the borders are open. And we've been at this for 2,000 years. And we still have not gotten the gospel to every people group on planet Earth. And how, how can I best leverage my experience and my giftings and my passions to accelerate the impact of the gospel in one of the least reached regions on earth. And what am I willing to lay down to do it? Now, if a whale comes and swallows me, spits me back out somewhere. But as of now, we are seeking the Lord and pursuing this role, and we'd appreciate your prayers as we seek to get the gospel from here to the ends of the earth. And we want to stay partnered with you to do that. You're not going to get rid of us completely that easy. Which leads to the sixth thing that's open. 
open skies. And don't trail off here. We've got plenty of time to talk about that. Now let's, let's, let's get back to here. Because you don't need to miss the fact that the skies were also opened. Look in verse 50. He led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. The skies opened up to receive him into his heavenly kingdom bodily, alive forevermore. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father until his kingdom is to be consummated, and then those skies are going to open up again. Now those disciples did, we would have done just what those disciples did when that sky opened up. They stood there going, ah. They look like that Olympic swimmer without her glasses trying to see if she won the gold. If you had not seen that picture, you need to look it up. What just happened? And in Acts, we get a little, little clearer image of what happened as they were gawking up into the sky. In verses 10 and 11 of Acts chapter 1, it says, As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, what do you do standing looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. In other words, what did he tell you to do? Why are you standing here staring? You better get busy because he's coming back. Those skies are open now. Those skies are going to open again. He's coming again. Are you ready? The tomb is open. The scriptures have been opened to you this morning. Are you ready? Have your eyes been opened? Has your mind been opened? Believe today this whole sermon series that lasted 60-something sermons over more than a year is called Who is Jesus? So that when we come to this point, you can say, I know who He is and I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed to Him until that day. The borders are open. Kind of, sort of. How, are, how can you be used of God to get the gospel to the ends of the earth before those skies reopen and there are no more second chances to invest your life in the mission? Maybe you need to ask yourself, what are you willing to lay down? And how can you best leverage your experience and your life to be a part. The skies are going to open. And Jesus Christ is going to return. And every one of us will stand before Him. And the only things that will matter when we stand before Jesus are what did we do with Christ? And what do we do for Christ? That's it. It won't matter how big your 401k was. It won't matter what kind of car you drove. What kind of house you lived in how many promotions and raises you got at work, none of that will make a difference. It won't matter a lick. The only things that will matter is, what did you do with Jesus and what did you do for Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus, doubter? What are you going to do with Jesus, doubter? Natural man, natural woman? 
who hears the message week after week after week, what are you going to do with Jesus? Listen to me very carefully. Again, for the fourth year in a row, Jesus Christ came to this earth to live the sinless, spotless, perfect, righteous life that God requires of every one of us. Do you hear that? God requires us to be perfect, sinless, spotless, righteous. And if you miss the mark just a little bit, you are not good enough to go to heaven. So you can come to church every Sunday, read your Bible every day, pray every day, give a tithe every week, live the best life you can live, and you stumble one time. It makes you guilty of all. And you're unfit to go to heaven. But God in His mercy, Jesus Christ in His mercy and grace, came and He lived that life for you. He checked every box necessary for you. He did everything necessary for you to be perfect in the eyes of God. Then He went to the cross, and on the cross, God the Father took our sin, our iniquity, our transgressions, and He put them on Jesus. And in His judgment, He judged our sin in Jesus on the cross in full until it was paid in full and it was finished. And now today, God can take your sin, no matter how big and nasty it is, or no matter how small and squeaky clean it may appear to everyone around you, He can take your sin and He can put them on Jesus and have them paid in full, and He can take Jesus' perfect record and He can put them on you so that you can be perfect and righteous and acceptable to God. And when you stand before His judgment seat, all you will hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, if I was offering you Elon Musk's bank account for all of your bills, what kind of special case is going to walk out of here and turn that down? Anybody? What if I, gave, what if I offered you the head of Amazon's bank account and all of his stocks for all of your bills? Who's walking out of here without taking that deal? Nobody. Let me tell you something. God the Father is offering you all of the perfect holiness of Jesus Christ and all that He has for all of your debts, your sin debts. And He'll make the swap right now this morning. Not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus Christ is. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. But you have to turn from your sin and throw yourself on His mercy and grace this morning. Are you willing to do that? Do you want to do that? Do you want to make that swap? I don't know who wouldn't. I don't know who wouldn't. So right now where you are, call on His name. Repent of your sin. Turn away from your sin. And trust what He did for you until He gives you assurance that you are His child. Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You for Your love. We thank You that You are our authority. That You are our God. That You are our sovereign. That You are the head of the church. That You are the Prince of Peace. And we pray now that You would show up. We pray now that You would open minds. We pray now that you would grant repentance and grant faith to that one who doesn't know you, that one who's been a doubter. 
and unable to believe, would you open their minds? God, we pray that you would stir us to lay down whatever it is you call us to lay down and to leverage our lives for your glory. We'll thank you for it. We'll praise you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.